we have these unconscious stories that we don't even know. And then I'm like, okay, so what is everything I think I know about aging? And I put all this up, like frailty, breakdown, you know, isolation, all these things come out that are not really a thriving life. And then the question is, what if everything I think I know about this aging is completely wrong? Welcome to the Simlan podcast. My name is Simlan and our guest today is Dr. Melissa Peterson. Dr. Melissa is an epigenetic success coach. She's a licensed chiropractic with a board certification in holistic health. I was also speaking at Dr. Melissa's free online event, the Longevity Summit, with other experts like Dr. Daniel Stickler, Dr. Aubrey de Grey, Dr. Sandra Kaufman, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, and many others. It's a great event about how to improve your health span and wellness. Check out the Free Longevity Summit in the show notes of this episode at seamland.com forward slash 207. That's seamland.com forward slash 207. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Seam. Yeah, it's, uh, glad, I'm glad to talk with you. And um, maybe let's start with uh, talking about your profession or what you do. Like, what is an epigenetic uh, coach? Yes. So I'm one of those everything women that I have many different titles and backgrounds and degrees, but I'm so grateful for the field of epigenetics because it gives me one place to truly bring it all together, which I almost love to really coin it the science of lifestyle. So my doctorate is in chiropractic medicine and natural holistic health with um, various different certifications and degrees along the way and over the years. And, you know, over 20 years ago when I got out, Um, When I was young, I was already in nutrition and dance and fitness and very lifestyle driven. And when I got out in clinical practice, I realized that there were pieces that were missing, uh, that just, you know, people were coming in and their same patterns kept showing up and showing up. And so I just kind of went on my own personal dive of, you know, this was before biohacking was a thing, right? (laughs) Before we had some of these terms that we do today. And it went from functional medicine to integrative medicine and then really finding um, my way into more of a optimization lane with genetics and epigenetics. Um, and I'm excited to talk all about that today. Yeah, definitely. Like the field of epigenetics is very uh, interesting and it's very like innovative as well. So like new uh, discoveries are being made all the time. And uh, yeah, it does uh, show a lot, lot, lot of potential for just improving uh, people's quality of life and longevity especially. But uh, like maybe for those who haven't heard about epigenetics, like how does it differ from uh, regular genetics? Yeah, this is such a great question. So, you know, we were classically brought up in the mindset and the understanding that our genes are our destiny. Here's your blueprint and what's there is, is what it is. It's kind of written in stone. And that's not what it is at all, right? So the, it is our blueprint. It is our blueprint of potential encoded within, yet the science of epigenetics, which really, you know, only became, it's, it's such a new science in kind of the, the, the timeline because it really became more popular in the 70s. The discoveries in the labs were happening more, you know, in the 50s and a little earlier, but really becoming prevalent in the literature, more pronounced in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and then very mainstream in the early 90s with Dr. Bruce Lipton, um, really brought it to the forefront. One of the big people that kind of made it more common knowledge or talked about um, in the literature. Yet here's what it is. It truly is the understanding that we thought it was the genes, but it's not the gene that determines 
what's going to be created. Your genetic code is simply, right, your, these, this letters of potential that will determine if a heart cell or a liver cell or, you know, muscle tissue, what is going to be made? What is going to be produced? What are the strands of amino acids and proteins that are going to be created in the body? So what was found is in a Petri dish, you know, just the genetic code itself didn't elicit the response. What is it that creates the code, puts it into action is the signal from above the gene, which is called epigenome above the gene is epigenetics. And so when we look in the literature, we start to say, well, what is it that affects the signaling to the gene? What is informing the gene to turn on or off or up or down is an easy way to think about it. And so that is where all of a sudden we realize, well, it's what's the signal from above the gene. Well, what's informing the signal from above the gene? Oh, well, the environment like there's different signals based on different inputs happening in this internal environment. Okay, now we go a little bit more meta. Well, what's informing that internal environment around that cell? Now we look to the external environment. And that's where I'd like to call it the science of lifestyle because now all of a sudden we're thinking, the thoughts we're thinking, the foods we're eating, the air we're breathing, the light we're exposed to, and, and the, Im, the implications seem are so powerful because what we're truly only beginning to really wrap our heads around is that what happens epigenetically right now in our bodies informs future generations. And especially when we look from a preconception standpoint, you know, there are signals that are passed down. So we cannot change our genetic code. That is hardwired. That's like written in pen. But the epigenetics, think of that like marks in pencil. Those can be erased. Those can be changed. And that's what gets passed down really quickly from generation to generation. And even when we're in the womb and we can talk about this, there's, there's just so much. So again, the, the implication, think easily, epigenetics is how our outer world is informing our inner world to express mm -hmm. or repress our own innate potential. Yeah, yeah, that's a really uh, beautiful way of putting it. And uh, it does uh, kind of refute some of the misconceptions that you are kind of destined to uh, be um, you know, affected or controlled by your genes. Of course, uh, uh, genes do matter, but uh, a lot of it has to do with yeah, the, how those genes get expressed or whether or not they get activated in the first place. So the environment is really important. And like a lot of the chronic diseases themselves, there are like genetic factors to uh, diabetes or uh, autoimmunity and uh, cardiovascular disease. But at the same time, mo most of the you know, final results or the outcome, whether or not you get the disease, that depends on your lifestyle and uh, you know, your diet, your exercise, your sleep, and uh, what you do, uh, actually. And it's interesting, you know, so often we don't want to think about that. Like, you know, it is kind of, e it's a lot easier, right, to think, well, it's just one thing. If there's just a pill or a potion or a hack or a, a tool that will let me kind of override. And yet we are bioinformatic organisms. And so, you know, we are this dynamic, energetic interplay between seen and unseen, what's happening out here and in here. And, and what we like it or not, we're coming to have to realize and embrace if we want to express our potential differently, if we wanna live differently and thrive in new and really uh, flourishing ways, we have to realize that, you know what? Yeah, how we're living out here does inform here and there's not gonna be a pill, there's not gonna be a hack that's gonna supersede it. And I'll tell you, it was really interesting 
Um, you know, you were one of my guests on the upcoming longevity summit and with 60 other experts around the world. And I was having a conversation with Dr. Duncan Ross, and he is a, a big leader in the exosome space. And we talked, I said, okay, let's talk for a moment from an epigenetic standpoint. Exosomes are really being looked at in longevity um, as like an amazing breakthrough, right? Like there's a lot of implications of how exosomes are going to truly allow the body to heal and to regenerate in amazing ways. And so I said, well, how about your people that did you find that you give the exosome and they have the response and then they go back to their environment? does the response hold? He said, that's a really interesting question. He said, you know, I had this, this patient with, um, with, with uh, CPOD and, and, and what we did is we, we did the treatments with the exosome and he, he was amazing in the, you know, post-recovery, fantastic. He goes, but the guy lived in Pittsburgh in the U.S. here, and, and that's a coal mining town historically in the United States. And uh, he's like, he lives in Pittsburgh and he went back home to Pittsburgh and the air quality was crap. And he said, and you know, the results were limited. So in the lab, right, in the Petri dish, we can do these things and it looks really clean and perfect and wonderful. But what few of us really realize is that when we go out into life, you know, there are signals that we cannot control. We're constantly, that's what our body does. It's constantly reading the environment and interpreting it to determine A, if it's safe, or not, that's step one. Is this a safe environment to be in? And if it's not, it's going to embed those codes so that both our body knows now, but it's also things that the more we're exposed to those environments, those are marks that do get passed down transgenerationally so that the next generation can kind of already innately know dangerous environment versus thriving environment. And so yes, our environments like it or not, do signal our level of expression of health and thriving or they add to, right? They add to that mix, to that uh, acceleration of breakdown and disease. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really kind of for me at least. It gives me a lot of like you know confidence and hope, uh, or more assurance because um, I know that I can control my like epigenetic factors, but I can't control my genetics. So uh, it's kind of you know kind of puts more responsibility on what do I do instead of trying to blame like my heritage or something uh, like my, you know, genes. So it's kind of, it, it will be like more self-defeating to um, have this mindset that you can't do anything about your health and that the, everything is just determined by your genes. Whereas in reality, you could, you know, control a lot uh, with your uh, lifestyle. So I'm really glad that you said that scene because, you know, to me, epigenetics is truly the science that gives each and every one of us our own, our own superpowers. It gives us the ability to truly understand that we are limitless. We do have control. We are not a victim of our genes. We're not, a, we're not a victim of anything. And, you know, that mindset, that way of thinking is leaving the collective. You know, we're seeing it right now. We're in such a massive time of disruption. And yet when we shake the dirt off the roots, we're left with some, something new, right? We're left with potential and all that no longer serves us falls away. And so what happens is sure, we can buy into an outdated story and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not judging anybody, right? So if we need to feel a victim, if we need to feel like it's out of our control, if that somehow serves you for here and now, then okay. But there will come a point 
probably sooner than later in your journey that you'll keep bumping into these areas that just really aren't serving you. And that feels like resistance. That feels like tension. That feels like accelerated stress that you just can't respond to stress, right? Mm -hmm. Like those are choices. Those are baby choices, but it, it escalates. And, and I'll tell you, you know, one of the foundational places I'd love to dive into today, if we have the time, is really the importance of the mental piece. Like epigenetics, our longevity, our potential, any of it, whether we're going to be a victim or whether we are going to be limitless, right? Whether we're going to have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset, how we see and perceive the world, it really does come down to right here. And, and it's very easy to begin to up-level our own potential and possibility when we start right up here. Mm, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that, you know, Henry, Henry Ford has the quote that uh, whether you think you're, you are or you're not, you're right. <laughs> because uh, it doesn't matter which one you think about, uh, you know, because your thoughts will become reality and, and your mindset kind of determines uh, your outlook on life and, you know, your mindset and your outlook will then determine what kind of actions are you going to take uh, or not take. So, so, yeah, like a self-fulfilling prophecy. A hundred percent. And I love, you know, Yoda, there is no try, only do. Yeah. And we, it's the same kind of thing, but we just so often we don't realize consciously all of the unconscious programming and narrative that's running around, right? Like other people's words, other people's truths, beliefs, values, opinions of how I as an individual, you as an individual should live. And, and it's not until we get older that we, and we start bumping into things and things don't feel just joyful and easy and smooth that we're like, what is going on? You know? And at some point we start to recognize like, wait a minute, whose story am I living? Whose thoughts am I thinking? You know, and because you're right. And, and it does come down. Step one is just even becoming aware of our words the power of the words that we're using. Are we saying I will? Or are we saying I might? Is it I can or I can't? You know, just like you said, whether you can or you can't, you say you can or you can't, you're right. It's exactly, and it is exactly it. And so I'm super big with my clients on, you know, when I start with them on cognitive optimization and full lifestyle optimization, beginning with their genetic code, you know, one of the first places that we look at is we do dive into precision of language because again, that's tied to mindset, you know, and, and it begins with some very foundational questions um, and uh, of how to, how to shift, how to create some mind hacks, if you will, how to up-level really rapidly and, and have new states of awareness that truly does impact us right down at the genetic level. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but let's maybe start off with some of the uh, like epigenetic factors that we can control, you know, uh, like an environment is a huge one. Uh, but what, what contributes to this uh, environment that, that, that has an epigenetic effect? So what I'd love to do to answer that seam is I, I want to first, if it's okay with you, I'd like to first take people into a frame of awareness of what I really mean with the mindset and then, and what is in our environment, right? What are things that are triggering us? And, and how that's translating all the way down to the code. Would, would that be okay with you? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Okay. So some of the first things happen, and you know, and this was, this is a, a personal story. Like, so going through this longevity summit, for example, I set off on this vision of, hey, I'm in the land of health optimization. It's, it's my reality. And I know so much more is possible for people. Instead of watching commercials every day of 
of how we're sick and broken and we're lacking and we need to buy a product to make us whole. I'm like, imagine if the world got to see commercials every day of what is possible, telling them how limitless they are, telling them how vital and healthy and how competent they are and, and how to build upon that. Imagine that narrative. Right. So that's kind of what drives me. Like I'm all about let's have a new narrative. We get to be the creators of our destiny. We get to write our own story. So what is the story we want to write? And so one of the places I set out is I'm like, okay, longevity is how do we live a long life well? Not just, you know, lifespan, but health span. And so I, I started down this road and this started about 18 months ago, putting this vision together for the longevity summit and the longevity life hub. And, and so I thought I knew like, yes, I want to live. And at first I was like, Oh, I think I want to live to 111. I don't know. I, you know, angel numbers. I don't know. I'm just like, I'm going to, that sounds great. Like that sounds really, that seems longer than most people. Like yeah. that sounds good. And then I start to think, you know, and I love Sophia Loren. She seems, she was this timeless woman, right? This Italian actress who was timeless and beautiful. And I'm like, I want to grow. I want to sage and I want to just be like fine wines. I'm, I'm like having this vision. Now just stay with me for a minute. And so then I start this summit. And before I started it, one night I'm sitting down with my husband and son at our table. And I said, guys, you know, if you could live, as long as possible with the people you love, meaning they're going to be around too. Like, and you're not going to be broken down. You're going to be really strong and vital and thriving. And you can be here as long as possible. How long do you want to live? And what was really interesting. So we asked the question and you might think like, you're going to, Oh, I want to live to, but what happened was my son was kind of like, Oh, I don't know. And my husband is like, well, I'll tell you, I don't want to live long if. So all of a sudden, instead of saying what we did want, like, oh, man, 150? What would that be like? Could be 200? What would that be like? It was immediately, well, I'll tell you what I want. If you're not here, I don't want to be there. If this isn't, I don't want that. Like, all of a sudden, it was like this negotiation. Our brain does this, right? It's like keeping us safe. And so to me, that was a, a really interesting kind of first set. And we all do this. We we all have this programmed in. We all have our, what we, what something means to us. And so then I'm going to tie this all together to give you just a framework for that. So then I'm doing the summit and I'm interviewing one of the experts. His name is Dr. Eric Plasker. And he probably about 20 years ago, 15 years ago, he, um, he had a breakthrough and developed a brand called the hundred year lifestyle. And, and it was all by this, patient Max, who came in 98 years old. And the long short of Max was he came in, uh, broke alone and in pain. And he was born, you know, the lifespan, like he was only lived till 50. That was the, the average lifespan. But here he is an outlier. He made it all the way to 98. At that point, he made it to 100 was the story of Max. But Dr. Plasker, when he came in, he said, you know, if Max would have known that he was going to live to a hundred, would he have done things differently? Would he have lived life differently knowing that he's going to live that long? Cause he only lived until 50 and, and he certainly didn't have a good quality of life. It was a very, you know, misery based life for those last 50 years. And so I was thinking about this and part of this journey, he said, we, they developed what's called the empire score. And so what you do is you look, 
looking through your family history and who's the longest living family member. It could be a parent, a grandparent, a cousin, an uncle, somebody like that. And you go through the family history and go, okay, who's the longest lived? And you take that number and then you take your current age, subtract the difference, and that is your minimum potential. So for me, my great-grandmother was uh, 94, I'm 49, I'm like, all right, great, I've got at least another, you know, whatever, what do I got, 45 years. And I'm like, let me add in another 10 just for good longevity sciences. I'm like, I've got at least 55 more, at least 55 more years left. Now stay with me. And then my mind said, wow, I have more life to live than I've lived. That's interesting. And so how do I want it? What do I need? Like, and I'm pretty healthy and I think I'm pretty vibrant for a 49 year old. And yet, how do I step up my game now? Now here's the last piece. Here's the last piece and I'll tie this all together. Can you hear that background noise? No, I don't. Okay, good. So I'll tie this all together. So then I asked myself, what does longevity mean to me? And the word that actually came up was aging, which is totally, I, I was like, what? like just kind of asking what? Longevity means aging? No, 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 longevity means thriving. So here's what I'm talking about, gang mindset. We have these unconscious stories that we don't even know. And then I'm like, okay, so what is everything I think I know about aging? And I put all this up, like frailty, breakdown, you know, isolation, all these things come out that are not really a thriving life. And then the question is, what if everything I think I know about this, aging, is completely wrong? And as I went through just asking a few questions and, and really here, when it starts with mindset, if you're bumping into something in your life that's like, you feel like I wanna believe this, but you know, there's that little voice within that you're, you're still kind of doubting something, right? Like I love the concept of longevity, but I still had this little seed of doubt of, well, what is really possible? Can I make it to 111? Can I make it to 120? Can I, do I want to? So these little seeds of doubt. And then when I probed a little further with a few more questions, I actually realized that there was an unconscious belief that living a long time actually meant breakdown, sickness, disease, and being alone and isolated. Mm. Now, that's just how I've been conditioned, right? The stories that we've seen in media, um, other family members, maybe that of, of friends that their parents ended up in nursing homes and all alone. I mean, any of that, that's what got seeded in my brain. Mm -hmm. When I really got to the heart of why is longevity important to me? It's about living a life of, of purpose with purpose, doing what I love with the people I love for as long as possible. And here's the big thing. It was really about connection. And when I was able to get to the heart of what is my why, what is my driver? Why am I showing up? And, and this is for any of us, like this, this train of questioning and of mindset, because here's the deal. When we're stressed, when we're in resistance, we, we constantly are trying to find things to fill the void. Some of the things be numbing, they could be food, they could be alcohol, they could be, you know, um, sex, they could be anything. They could be social media, like constant dopamine hit. I'm trying to fill a void because I'm not really wanting to address this stress that I don't know where it's coming from. And, and all we have to do is ask a few questions. But here's the thing, stress, and I know you know this, but for your audience, we have come to 
take, uh, what's the word I want to say? We don't fully understand stress. Mm. And, and so, so because we don't fully understand it, we don't really fully care about or embrace the impact it can have on us, both for growth as well as for breakdown. And so obviously, so stress fundamentally is meant to help us grow. It's meant to help us literally evolve, right? Being in a high demand situation, a situation that's alone, that you can gain a new learning, a new skill set, a new, a new resource. If we stay in it too long and it's too much of a demand, and that's eustress, so short, high intensity demand, right, or like a hormetic effect with time to rest is a positive stressor to our system. It helps us to grow. It helps us to evolve. But then all of a sudden, the chronic stress is the distress, right? That is the constant overload to the system without rest, without recovery. And there are there are so, and you can go to the research, you can go to PubMed, you can just Google scholarly articles on epigenetics and stress, you know, gene expression and stress. And you will see literally thousands of articles, thousands of researched articles that there are so many different SNPs, even if we just talk about BDNF, you know, brain-derived neurotropic factor, that literally chronic stress in adult, in adulthood, enough. So how our brains are going to be able to, you know, be healthy and thriving and, and avoid things like Alzheimer's and dementia, right, to enhance the city. Also, if there's early childhood trauma, that's epigenetically stressing and inhibiting BNDNF. And that's just one. There are so many, there are so many genetic expressions. So when you say, how is this showing up in our environment? And I know this was a long answer, but I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful this is adding value and I'll be quiet in a minute so you can ask me any questions for clarification. But just to round this out, the first place we have to look in our environment is we first have to look right here and within. And we have to begin to notice where, so there's the real obvious things. Where am I bumping into resistance? Where am I feeling tension? stress, strain, where am I feeling frustration? Where am I just feeling maybe some mild angst? That's gonna be step one, to just get curious and notice what your body is signaling you. Then we can literally go into, and I'm super happy to talk about things in the physical environment, but that's kind of step one. And I know I've just said a lot, so I wanna be quiet for a minute in case you have yeah. questions or anything that you wanna go through with that. Yeah, that was an amazing story. And yeah, thanks for sharing that. So. I, I totally agree that there's a lot of uh, like misconceptions about aging and longevity in the first place. So most people have this connotation with aging that it equals frailty and uh, weakness. And if you ask them, like, if you do you want to live until 100, then they say no, because they don't want to be like hospitalized and don't want to be like codependent. <laughs> but the truth is like, you know, you, it doesn't necessarily have to be like that. Uh, like the average pe average person has, you know, poor health and they already experience this deterioration and frailty even in their like 40s or 50s so it's not like that the age itself is causing the issue it's more like the lifestyle uh, that is contributing to this like accelerated aging and um, i think we talked about this uh, in in our in interview on your summit as well that uh, there's a difference between like aging like hunter gatherers do and aging as the average westerner does which is like the average westerner ages gradually slowly <laughs> starting from the age of 40 or something and they deteriorate un until the like 70s or 80s and it's like a very 
you know, uh, painful process and uh, torture almost. Whereas the hunter gatherers, they maintain this high level of functionality and fitness throughout their entire lifetime. And they only die really fast in the last years of their life. They sharp into this very sharp descent. And that's called like squaring the curve. So the goal of this longevity research and longevity optimization isn't to necessarily just only live longer, but it's also to live uh, better and, uh, and lengthen the, like the health span where you are just more vibrant and uh, you, you more, with more vitality uh, throughout your entire lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is, it, it really is. I mean, and, and I love the work that you do, you know, because with all of all the work that you're out there sharing, of course, um, time restricted eating, intermittent fasting, you know, and, and again, kind of in, in alignment with hunter gatherers, this natural rhythm um, has so many longevity benefits. It's, it is one of the number one time proven through all of the research. You know, other things can find some variables that are like, well, this didn't quite show the same result here, but time-restricted eating always shows that. And yes, you know, one of the things that happens in kind of this, this modern lifestyle is if we think about the, the true level of stress that does accumulate over the years, and it's more, you know, as we get older, now we have more things that we're responsible for, maybe more things we're afraid of losing, right? Like when we hit our 40s, we've got kids, we've got houses, we've got financial obligations, we've got kind of more things that would potentially keep somebody up at night, keep them in a more chronic fight or flight, sympathetic dominance type of stressful state. Um, and we're not moving, we're not moving, we're overeating, we're over drinking, we're overthinking. And, you know, yet innately, like if we do look to the blue zones, if we look to more of the, the primal type of, of way of living, there's so much, I, there's so much knowledge and wisdom to be gained. And to me, one of the important messages to bring out through the Longevity Summit is saying, it's really not either or, it's and also. Mm -hmm. It's about embracing, you know, the most advanced cutting edge age reversal science and technology and ancient wisdoms and teachings and principles for modern longevity yeah. solutions. Because it's not one or the other, you know, it's, it's all of it. It's like, the Tao Te Ching, it's the 10,000 things. Everything we need is here. It's all here, all the information. We just have to be willing to dip into it and actually do something with it, apply it in our life and quit thinking that there's gonna be some new thing that's gonna save us. It's like, you gotta honor this yeah. and do a few, a few basic things well and you're already gonna slow down the aging process. You do a few more things really well and you're going to completely reverse the aging process. You supplement, you add a couple of peptides and hormones into the mix, and now all of a sudden it's a whole different ball game, right? So it's like, I like to call that the longevity stack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, it has to be like a holistic approach and uh, you have to include, you know, sleep, exercise, uh, diet, stress management, the relationships, uh, you know, purpose and uh, yeah, everything uh, into, into that. Uh, but maybe let's start with like some of the easier things like, you know, diet, nutrition also is a pretty important epigenetic factor. So how can like we optimize our diet for, you know, having a beneficial effect on our longevity? Yeah, that's a, that's a super great question. So, 
So one of the, um, so I'm over, I run a academy called Apuron Academy of Epigenetics. And one of the things that we have um, through Apuron Genomics is we have our own proprietary genetic test kit. And um, we're one of the only companies out there that actually are reporting, looks at lifestyle. We've got the highest amount of SNPs that are um, impacted by lifestyle, okay? So we're not looking at ancestry, we're not looking at disease. Not that that isn't in the raw data, we're specifically looking at what can, what are the levers, what can we all individually impact, right, to enhance health span, lifespan, well span. And so to this question, so I've seen a lot of genetic data come through, right? I see a lot of reports because I've got hundreds of coaches from around the world and they've got their clients and then they have to sit and do their certifications with me and they have to go through this data. And so when I look at kind of the general rule of thumb, typically if we had to simplify nutrition, we are an omnivore, an herbivore or carnivore, right? So that we've kind of already got these three natural tendencies and truth be told, we're all a little of all of it. And it's just based on our genetic potential, we, look to do better with more of one type of macro than another. And yet if I had to give a common rule of thumb, right, of really like if there's one diet, one way, and there's not just one thing for everybody. We are in the end of one, we're sovereign individuals. It is the land of precision, you know, longevity, precision health, yet what we see in the research is the Mediterranean diet. Like if you're gonna follow anything that's going to give you the best in those categories and then it's where where nutrition really falls in is tweaking those macros right i know you're very low carb um from what i've heard with some of your interviews in the past i think you typically keep yours lower than 10 percent a day i think right it's kind of what i've heard you say before is that right uh well i do like a cyclical approach so i do have like low carb periods but i also have like high carb periods so uh, yeah i do yeah in a cyclical manner yeah, I love that. And I'll tell you through the literature also seem, and when we look at centenarians, one of the biggest things from a nutritional standpoint is flexibility, flexibility. And, and this is even in the longevity research, metabolic flexibility. So meaning, you know, we all, our nutrition is so personal to all of us. And we really want to get on the bandwagon of one diet or another. And there's nothing wrong with that. If it resonates with you, then go for it. If it is true for you, because our mindset and our beliefs and our perceptions also inform our genome, I'm all about it. I'm like, if, if vegan is the way for you, go vegan. If you know carnivore is the way for you, go carnivore. If we look at the research and we look at the genetic profiles, then we can have a little bit more data. And I like to go, I really like to have data, right? As, as well as emotion. I believe that they both in, yeah. inform the other. So data-wise, again, Mediterranean is the most balanced and genome-friendly approach. And then it comes this concept of flexibility. And you and I spoke about this in our interview as well. Flexibility also means to me cycles. And this kind of comes back to hunters and gatherers. This comes back to more primitive methodologies. This comes back to intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating. It's not always the same thing every day. Boom, 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 boom. Our bodies, you know, the moment we become flexible, the moment we change things up, just like our workout, we change it up a little bit and we get greater gains, right? Because the body, like in the brain, we, we crave novelty. We crave to grow and evolve beyond our current familiar zone. And the moment we cycle and the moment we become flexible and the moment that we are 
we'll intermittent fast one day, right? We'll, we will do it a little differently the next. Now all of a sudden we're taking our body beyond the current familiar zone. And so it's being stretched, it's being given a, an opportunity to become more adaptive, to become more resilient, and to really expand its capability and capacity. And again, that now comes back to the concept of metabolic flexibility. Longevity equals metabolic flexibility. When we're not flexible, now we've got metabolic chaos and breakdown, and that's what leads to the, the pathologies and accelerated aging. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, in some ways, having this flexible approach is also creating this small amount of positive stress to the body. So if you are doing everything uh, the same way all the time, then it prevents the body from adapting and uh, makes it more stagnant. And uh, yeah, like I, I, I do also agree that there is some like genetic variance between people which diets suit their genome the best. So, you know, based, it's mostly based upon like your heritage and location. If you're like uh, near, near the more equator, then you're probably better off or your at least your ancestors were consuming more of like a lower fat, higher carb diet, whereas people more in the north have more of like a ketogenic uh, paleo type diet with uh, less carbs. Uh, more protein and uh, more uh, fats so yeah it does have like a little bit of, i personally do notice that i you know i do better with more of uh, this lower carb uh, higher fat uh, type of diet so that's why i kind of originally uh, found or i uh, wh wh why i kind of stuck with uh, the keto diet as well but i do like uh, cyclically as well so <laughs> do getting the hormetic benefit from that yeah, and it was crazy because when I did my own genes, I found out that for, you know, a leaner body composition and for a more optimal just kind of metabolic flexibility, that I actually do better with a higher complex carb. And I was like, what? And, and of course, and monosaturated. So I can, I can have, so with some of my variants, I can do saturated a little bit more than others. However, it's still, I mean, for, for all of us, just for safety, just for good, good, safe reasons, stick with monos. You just can't go wrong. There's so many amazing benefits genetically. But for me, I actually do much better with a lower protein. And what was interesting is I, I naturally kind of found my way there over time, not so much with the carbs. I would not have thought the carbs. I just knew that on the days that I ate, like my body just craved healthy fats. Like if I could have drank olive oil, I probably would have, right? Like I just wanted olive oil. I wanted, I wanted avocados. I just really wanted some good healthy fats. And the more that I, the days that I would have more of those, you know, again, before I was monitoring my glucose or kind of doing any of those more advanced tracking just over a decade ago, I noticed, oh, I'm good. Like my brain is on, I can perform all day. I don't tank. And the days where I would not do that, then there was there was a difference. There was a real difference in how I was able to focus and how I was able to just maintain my energy all day. And then when I had got my jeans done, I was like, okay, well, I still don't know if I can eat all those carbs, but I am super glad to know I was I'm, I can at least keep doing my fats. And I'm pretty on point, you know. So if we do listen to to our bodies, we kind of can also figure out our own genetic expressions. What's what is most optimal, not trying to override it, but really go, let me just be honest with myself. When I eat this, I tank. I don't feel good. When I do this and this, I'm good. I'm clean. I'm solid. I go. And then that's choice, right? Like, how would you rather be living? Do you want to be tanking all the time and, and taking things to try to override it? Or do you want to just 
like have be like clean high octane fuel all day and just like showing up for life to me that's the way to go that's just my preference that yeah, <laughs> we all get yeah. to choose yeah absolutely like uh, you you can you could like trust your intuition but uh, your intuition has to be like developed a little bit uh, you have to kind of teach yourself or learn about yourself and do a lot of experiments so that your intuition would be right. So, but if you're going, if you're going uh, based upon the intuition of your like default state or like uh, the, like uh, the standard way of living or with poor diet and uh, stress, then you may be just misled uh, to a wrong path. So that's why it's a lot of like experimentation and um, making sure that you have at least some uh, baseline to build upon. Did you hear that? Yeah, I, for sure. There's so, you know, just for everybody, I know Seam is going to make this sound amazing, but I'm traveling right now and I'm in sunny Florida at my parents and they're out cleaning, like they're pressure washing right now. <laughs> so I'm trying to toggle in between to keep my audio no as good as possible. But, you know, this is life. This is life. This is how we roll. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm with you on on all of that nutritionally. And, and that, and of course, I know you know this, but that word is interoception, really dialing in our inner sense of awareness. And when I was 20, I didn't have it. I mean, I think at 16, you had it, Seam. You're leading the way for the whole next generation, which is great. It took me longer. I did. I was not kind to my body. You know, I I did follow what was being spewed out to me by magazines and media and you know I had an eating disorder and I over exercise I, I did I was a fitness instructor I would teach 20 to 30 classes a week plus mm. workout on top of that while drinking diet cokes I mean it was terrible I didn't know what I was doing to myself I thought you know I ate fat-free chemically laden foods because that's what I was marketed to and I thought was good mm. and and I didn't know why I had terrible acne. I didn't know why, you know, my blood pressure would go crazy when I was like working out. Like it was, so all of a sudden going, okay, let me just, I feel exhausted when I drink these Diet Cokes. Let me stop, right? It was like, I just don't like the way I'm feeling. Let me do less of these. Let me have more water. That was a shift, right? And then it was like, huh, my skin is clearing up. What else am I eating that has all these chemicals in it? What are these chemicals doing? Let me get rid of these. So, I mean, it took me, unfortunately, by trial and error, a long time. And I think the good news is, though, for any of us, regardless what age we are at, it's never too late. It's never too late. Yeah. And the body is dynamic and responsive. And we can begin to literally reprogram you know, we can reprogram our epigenetic marks. We can create a new state of thriving in the future generations. You know, I can just imagine seeing if the day comes that, you know, if you decide to have a family, you're going to create a super baby and then you're going to raise that super baby and they're going to have had that lifestyle and then they're going to create super babies. But think about it. Like to me, that's what gets so exciting is like we're in this time where we're bringing all this information to the forefront. More people are hearing it, more people are sharing it, regardless of age. They're, they're you know, implementing it in their own life to a greater or lesser extent. And it's having this cumulative effect and shift. And so how you're gonna live is different than I did. At 16, you knew more than I did at 26, right? Like you were a solid decade ahead. And each generation that happens, my 13 year old son, knows probably more than I did at like 30. I don't know. It's like amazing. And so we are going to continue to up level our evolutionary process of health 
and human flourishing, but it begins by conscious choice. It begins by going, you know what? Yes, let me dial in. Let me first start within myself. You gotta put the life vest on yourself first. You have to. You've gotta get right in your own body so you have more energy, you have more vitality, you have more of you to show up and be present in your life. Because when you are more fully filled into the day, then you can actually appreciate life and dready day. You can show up and notice what you're grateful for. You can celebrate the wins and also not get too hung up on the losses because you can all realize that it's just feedback helping you to grow beyond your current familiar zone to evolve into new next level states of flourishing. And if we understand that, like this game, this beautiful journey of life, like there is no end point. We get to just keep up leveling and up leveling and up leveling. Mm -hmm. But we got to start within us first and then we can impact those around us. Yeah, uh, like that, that's another one of those misconceptions about longevity and aging that um, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's like only for like selfish means that you want to live uh, a long time or live, live forever. But uh, that's actually the, well, well, at least maybe some people do, but uh, for me, it is about this epigenetic fingerprint that you leave uh, for your uh, offspring, so to say, so that the things you do now will going to affect the health and vitality of your future generations so uh, yeah, it's actually less selfish or it's like more selfless if you uh, <laughs> think about it from that perspective. And it's um, yeah, a bigger motivator for me to you know, stay healthy and do the things are right. I, I agree 100%. I love hearing you say that because to me, this is all about legacy. And, you know, and same thing with the Longevity Summit, it wasn't just about like, oh, this isn't anti-aging. I'm not having a conversation about, and I'm not, this is nothing to anybody that does this, but I'm not talking about putting Botox in. I'm really talking about how do we live at a whole new level of thriving? Like, what does life look like? What does humanity become when we all realize more is possible? And, and it does start from the inside. And it's not just aesthetics. It's not just, you know, our food. It is this whole other level that whether we like it or not, you know, it's the, the mystical meaning you can't quite put, you, you can't quite measure purpose in the same way as you can HRV, mm. right? This level of connection, of meaning, of of consciousness, of realizing that you are part of something more, whatever you call that more. Like these are all components to epigenetics and it is a legacy project. It is what we can do now and generations to come. And that's, oh, it's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's inspiring. Uh, but you, you mentioned also like some of these chemicals and uh, you know, bad ingredients that, that we get exposed to. like. Uh, what would be like some more examples of these negative things that affect our uh, epigenetics in a negative way? Yeah, well, when we think of a lot of the endocrine disruptors, right? So I always, I like to keep things super simple. I, I believe that it becomes easier to implement if we can quickly wrap our head around it. So we don't put our brain into any kind of decision-making fatigue. So if you look at a label, and it's, it's much different in Europe than obviously it is in the US. So many of our foods are filled with chemicals. Um, so the moment you look on a label, right, and A, there's more than five ingredients, but B, you're reading things that you can't understand, you don't, you don't know that and you don't see it growing on a tree, then you may wanna hold off on purchasing that. Right. So I like to just say whenever we're going to ingest, so we first want to think about this. 
chemicals are in so many ways, uh, so many, they come in so many forms. So I'm sitting outside, they're cleaning around here. I'm sure that there's pesticides that they're using around here, insecticides, herbicides, right? Just trying to keep the bugs down. Well, we think that's good, but we don't really realize the downstream effect. And one of the things I, I teach about, um, I talk about on the, the summit, is really this understanding that we are part of a complex system. So we're part of a complex ecosystem. We, the human body, is a complex system, not a simple Newtonian model mechanical system. We are a, again, bioinformatic, dynamic, complex system. And there's always a downstream effect. So, you know, we've, we've brought things into the world that we thought we're like, oh, this would be great. Wouldn't it be nice if there were fewer insects? Sure. We start spraying chemicals, not realizing what are these chemicals doing to our health, to our signals. So endocrine disruptors are one of the, the biggest issues that we're seeing. And so, you know, from, um, and we're seeing them every, in everything from, let's talk about what we put on our skin. So let's just talk lotions for a minute. Let's talk medications. Let's talk, and what people often don't think about is you take a medication and yes, some of that is in the body, but you're also excreting, right? You're also excreting that, you're excreting metabolites, you're excreting literal parts of that medication um, into the water supply, which then just goes and gets yes, chlorinated, fluorinated, basically recirculated. And, and so what we're seeing is again, this downstream effect of in the US, more than 84,000 chemicals that are not even regulated. Oh. And so it is hard to just sit here and list all of them, right? right. Um, but oftentimes it's going to be like phthalates, right? BPAs, like things that we've, we've heard more of, we've become more cognizant of, um, you know, we realize that they're out there, but maybe we're not stopping the use of the products. Even things like artificial sweeteners, you know, so any kind of artificial um, coloring, sweeteners, um, these are all things that are, again, downstream effect in our bodies. And then what is happening downstream effect in our environment? Um, glyphosates, we could talk all day long about glyphosates. Again, not as bad in Europe as it is in the US, right? But glyphosates are going to be often found in GMO foods and genetically modified organisms. And, um, and that's got Roundup right in it. And Roundup is a neurotoxin. It is, it's a pesticide herbicide. It is, it's a huge endocrine disruptor. And it's literally creating changes in our sexual function, our hormone levels, our, it's everything from testosterone and estrogen. It truly is part of why we are seeing more, um, you know, we're, we're just seeing a huge change in, in our species, we're seeing a lot of um, gender neutral. We're seeing, you know, changes in in reproductive systems in how, when, how kids are being born. Um, yeah, this is a whole other conversation that we really yeah. could go into, and I don't know how long yeah. you want to talk, but yeah, wanna, we could wanna, go like a good example of it is also uh, this uh, this uh, continuous decline in the average uh, male testosterone levels since like yeah. the a few decades ago so it's been decreasing by maybe like a few percent per uh, year and uh, yeah like men nowadays have you know approximately like 10 or 15 percent less testosterone than a few decades ago so it is like a real actual example of how this uh 
uh, epigenetic factors 100%. can affect uh, a person's uh, like overall health and just vitality. And we don't have like data about the other things like these uh, glyphosate or um, you know uh, the sweeteners and other chemicals that we use uh, every day. So we don't have like how we how we don't have specifics about how it's going to affect the epigenetics. Uh, you know, maybe like in a few decades. We don't, we, we've got more, you know, we've got more kind of uh, correlative, right? So if we look at the trend, right, since glyphosate, if we just go with glyphosate, and you can Google this and see some amazing trend lines, but over the past 20 years, a little more than 20 years, but heavily introduced in the 90s, um, you can see a direct incline in every chronic disease. Now, is that correlation or causation? You know what I mean? Like there's, is it the, the, the chicken or the egg? But all we can see is there is a trend line and we can see that it's from that timestamp, we see a direct increase in every type of chronic disease, especially in the U.S. because it's so heavy here and our government subsidizes the use of it. It's just, it's pervasive. And unfortunately, this is the unfortunate and the fortunate, right? We can sit here and go, oh my gosh, like it's so terrible. And yet I also, I choose to believe we are at a, a tipping point of choice. How long are we willing to disrupt our own health and our welfare and our well-being of ourselves, our children, our grandchildren, our literal planet? And you know what I love about your generation, and, and you, you are, you're a different generation than I am, you know, but what I love each decade, right? There's this new awareness, like my son's awareness, you know, his class, like he's at the outdoor education school, but the conversations they have, they look at adults like we're just buffoons. Like you guys just so don't get it. They're like, thank God we are here because we're going to take care of this. We're going to clean up after, not that somebody needs, it shouldn't have gotten to that point, right? That somebody's cleaning up our mess, so to speak, or my parents' mess or my grandparents' mess. Yet we're here, but think about everything we've got. Like, and now with the converging technology, the ability to make rapid changes for the better to me are so profound and so extreme. And so sometimes, you know, it is necessity is the mother of invention. And so when it seems like everything's about to crash down around us, something new and amazing, typically the Phoenix comes from the ashes and something amazing is born. So that is my hope that I hold, right? That we're seeing this, we're aware of it. We can't deny it. The trend lines are there. And whether we want to wait another 20 years to say, well, yep, we have all the epigenetic proof now. We've got multiple generations of kids born since this has been introduced. Or do we want to see the pattern? And this is just like if we're using our own wearable technology. Do we want to wait until we have a heart attack? Or do we want to look at our patterns and see what's right. going on with our HRV and our sleep data? Like, wouldn't we rather course correct now than wait for something catastrophic to happen? Hmm. You know? Yeah. Totally. And yeah, it's, it's about just uh, raising awareness about it uh, because I wouldn't like, you know, people didn't know exactly what are the consequences of their actions in the past. Uh, precisely. So maybe some of them did, but you know, like the average, average people didn't know uh, the full consequences. So it's just about learning and make, learning from our mistakes and uh, improving continuously. And think about it, Seem, like, again, when we've been kind of given this narrative of pieces and parts, you need a pill to fix you. The story that society globally has told is one that keeps many of us in a place where we don't understand 
We don't understand that this is a complex system. We don't understand that there are downstream effects. We think everything's compartmentalized. And that's not how it works. That's not how the body works. That's not how the environment works. Like it is not compartmentalized. And so I think that, you know, thank, thankfully, internet, podcasts, books, like with the communication and the information being coming more and more and more into the mainstream conversation, more and more people are going, well, yeah, that does make sense. I don't know why I didn't ever think of it that way. Yeah, of course, I can throw a pebble in a pond and I can see it ripple out. Hmm, things ripple? Oh, you mean I can have my camera and I can zoom in and see one little piece? I can see one leaf on that tree, but if I zoom out, I see an entire tree? What if I didn't zoom out? What if I was only on that one leaf and I thought that was my reality? What if we could all zoom out for a minute and realize like we're a leaf on a tree, so to speak, metaphorically, right? We are part of a larger system and each, each piece impacts the other part of the system. So I do feel that because of this, we're going to rapidly up level because we have better information. When we know better, we do better, right? And that's kind of where we're at now. So it's great. It's, it's pure opportunity. Yeah, totally agree. Um, uh, I want to start wrapping up as well. But before I like, you know, finish up, uh, maybe let's talk a little bit about these uh, peptides that you mentioned as well. Like that's a pretty, you know, cutting edge uh, new technology that people are becoming more aware of and interested in. So how do, what are peptides and uh, how, how can they like improve uh, longevity? Yeah, such a fun question. So peptides um, are, peptides are just literally amino acids, right? So it's a shorter sequence. So technically when you have amino acid strands, it's think of it like the chain of communication. All of this links up together and it's going to be a message that's going to be sent out. I like to, again, I like to keep it simple. Think of it like a lock and a key. The message is a key that's going to go to a specific receptor site and unlock it. So a very specific action can be initiated within the body. That's how I like to think about it. So, um, and what, and within this long pep, uh, protein sequence, there's typically these shorter sequences of the part of the message that literally turns that, that lock, right? And that's what's referred to as the peptide. The peptide are these shorter amino acid sequences that are very targeted. They're natural to the body. Um, and this is, this, there's a lot of debate and disruption around peptides because, because they are naturally occurring, they cannot be patented by pharmaceutical companies. Um, some, I mean, there are some like, you know, there are some medications out that are technically a peptide, um, like thyroid medications, for example, but for the most part, these peptides cannot be patented. And so the pharmaceutical companies really don't want them easily available um, because it's a profit issue, right? And so the way a drug company, a pharmaceutical company makes money is they can go out and patent something. They'll, they'll just put one extra, you know, little uh, piece to the, to the chemical equation and that's how they all of a sudden patent it. Well, with peptides you can't. So, so they're safe, they're natural, they're effective. They can be, uh, they literally are, they can be made on the sequencer in these labs. There's some really in incredible labs out there and they create very specific outcomes in the body. And um, many have been tested. There are hundreds out there. In the US, we've only got about 60 that have been FDA approved. In Europe, there are many more being used. Peptides really got kind of started in Russia. And so there was a lot of early, you know, there was a lot of early kind of covert operations going on, if you will, a lot of right. N of one, people just willing to take it and try it and see. Um, because what's interesting 
is that for the most part, for the most part, this is not a 100% blanket statement, let me give that disclaimer, but for the most part, you cannot have a negative effect, a side effect from a peptide. So you're not gonna OD on them, you know, you're not, it's not going, to, because they think of it like, um, like a modulator, right? The body is gonna use what it needs, and when, the, when it doesn't need anymore, like it's like, oh, that, that signal has been switched, the rest is going to just be eliminated from the body. It's not gonna be used. So that's what's kind of really interesting about them. It's like they're super safe, so much safer. And with medications, medications are almost like a blunt signaler. So they literally override the natural mechanism within the body. So all of a sudden it's gonna say, turn on now, turn off now. I'm gonna hide you so you're not seen. So that's again, easy way to think about what's happening with a medication. And a peptide is slightly different. So it is going to go on to the receptor sites that are available for it and as it's needed, right? So as it's needed, it's going to be there, it's gonna unlock, it's gonna go in, it's going to do its job. So it's it's a it's not a forced, it is a, if I'm needed and my receptor site is open, I get to take my seat and I'm gonna open up and I'm gonna do this job. Again, keeping it simple and easy. So when we think from a longevity standpoint, there. I'm telling you, there are peptides for everything from cancer and autoimmune to cognitive optimization, sexual function and enhancement, you know, um, body composition, weight loss, again, all the way to literally reverse aging. So there are so many different ways to talk about peptides. In the categorization of this conversation today, there are a few that really stand out and have the literature behind them like um, apitalon is the number one kind of proven longevity peptide that has some pretty significant um, benefits to the body in really looking at, and they've done some studies around this with like the Hobart clock and things like that. So we can see that there are epigenetic modifications that happen with this that are showing chronological like, age reversal, um, or, or biological rather, excuse me, chronological, how many years we're alive in real age. but um, one of the things that I like to do is, you know, there's kind of a stack and I talk about this actually in our upcoming book, The Codes of Longevity. We've got a whole chapter on peptides and we have two guests that go deep into peptides on the summit. So if somebody wants to kind of take a little deeper dive, I'm sure they would enjoy checking that out. But, um, you know, there's kind of some basic ones and then you can escalate up. And yet I must caution seem. For anybody listening, please don't go out and just start buying peptides. I love that you guys like want to hack and like try stuff, but recognize, remember the system is dynamic and it is understanding. It's great to start with understanding what is happening in your physiology. Where are you at? Where do you want to be? What are your outcomes and your goals that you're looking to achieve? Just because something's out there doesn't necessarily mean that you need it. You, you could benefit from it, but let's not all of a sudden just start taking a bunch of things that may not be optimal for you when you might need one of something instead of four of something else. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, like uh, you shouldn't try to have like a quick fix. You should have like the fundamentals optimized first and then, yeah. you know, uh, maybe then implement uh, something uh, additional uh, to get like some extra yes. benefits. And of course, like so, uh, it would be better to like work with some uh, pro professional doctor or someone who is actually uh, involved with uh, doing that, because then you can also ensure that the things that you get, so the ingredients, 
or like you know pharma grades so they say that they're not made in some uh, sweatshop because i always like to say we always want to understand where are you at and where do you want to be like why would you want to potentially take these peptides and before we go for the advanced strategies are the fundamental needs being met in the body because again people love like the newest shiny thing oh this is the newest stuff that's being talked about i gotta get some peptides i gotta get some exosomes cool however are you even eating a nutrient-dense diet are you eating clean foods are you hydrating your body are you getting some sleep because if you're not doing just are you are you breathing properly do you have an optimal exchange of o2 and co2 like are you even doing basic things because if you're not putting something good inside of a system that's already in chaos doesn't fix the system in chaos you have to first clean up the chaos you've got to reduce and remove any of those you know disruptors to the system to then begin to soothe and repair so we can it's about i look at health on this kind of continuum seems so all the way from unbalanced way over here to optimized and enhanced and on the unbalanced side right in the center is homeostasis and many people want to get over to optimized and enhanced but they're still below homeostasis. They still haven't quite really managed just being in a solid, neutral, I'm healthy, I'm solid. Like I've got no symptoms. I don't have, I'm not taking pills and I'm not having a problem. I'm neutral, I'm solid. So many of us are just trying to get to that. And if you're not at neutral, you can't start doing these advanced things. If you're not at neutral, you're not gonna start taking hormones. You're not gonna start taking peptides. There are other downstream effects and there are typically very simple things that can happen down here that support and re-regulate the system to get you to homeostasis. Once you're there, then we can add on the fun stuff. Then we can take you into superhuman expression, but let's just first get you balanced. That's where we gotta start. Yeah. Makes sense? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, like your uh, longevity summit is going to probably cover all, all uh, ends of the spectrum, so to say, both the uh, beginner type of things as well as the more advanced uh, topics. So I definitely uh, recommend people to check it out. Um, and yeah, before I ask my last question, uh, where can people learn more about you and uh, your work? Oh, thank you so much. Um, I've got a couple of places. So docmelissa.com is just my main personal kind of Doc Melissa brand site. The Longevity Summit is, is airing soon, but where that will kind of live when the, the summit's an annual event is the Longevity Life Hub. Um, those are a few places in my academy for epigenetics is a Puron Academy. And, um, you know, it's the work I do. I love supporting people to enhance their health, optimize their life, so that they can look and feel and live their best for as long as possible. You know, we're never gonna get to 120 or beyond if we're not living well today. So we gotta start here so we can get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good, good uh, advice. And my last question is, uh, what's this one piece of advice you, or a habit that you wish you adopted sooner? I always love when there's the last question, you're like, oh, what are they going to throw at me? What am I going to get? What's the one piece of advice I wish I would have known sooner? Um, hmm. You know, I, I think the one piece of advice that I wish I would have known sooner is that it is safe, necessary, and essential to, to realize that health begins within, meaning to, to really begin to hone 
that interoception, to practice that self-care versus thinking that the answers are all out there. What's out there can enhance what is in here. But I, I spent the first half of my life looking out there. And, you know, if I think of, man, if I would have known to start earlier in here, wow, where could I be by now, right? So. Right. Yeah, that's good. That's good advice. So, so, so then you would uh, make sure that your like actions and uh, the, the decisions you make would be all also aligned with, you know, your purpose and uh, what you want to or who you want to be and what you want to accomplish. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's been a great talk and uh, yeah, I definitely recommend people to check out the Longevity Summit. Uh, the links are going to be also in the show notes. Uh, yeah, well, th thanks for coming to the podcast and uh, looking forward to your future work. And I've got to thank you, Seem. And listen, every, your interview on the summit was one of my favorites. I loved it. I want everybody to get to tune in. It was so fantastic. I know they listen to you every week. Um, but again, you just shared so much brilliance. And so I, I hope people will be able to tune in. And I really thank you to you and your entire audience today for, um, for just allowing me to be a guest on your show. So thank you. All right, that's it for this episode. If you want to support us, then leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. You can also share it with a friend. If you want to learn more about the topics that we discussed in this episode, then check out my new book, Stronger by Stress. But on that, thanks for listening to this episode. My name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.